wasn't for you and God, I wouldn't go to church. I'm serious. I don't really like church. You know what I mean? I mean, I love you. And my boss makes me go. So I'm kind of in a pickle there. So if I don't go, I don't see you. And I disappoint my boss. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, you're, you're kind. I'm serious, though. I think if it weren't for you and God, I wouldn't go to church. There's so much about church that I don't like. I mean, I think we've done everything we can to get rid of the things that we don't like about church here, but we still have our blind spots. How come we can't see them? Because they're blind spots. <laughs> can't see them. We have our warts and our blind spots, but we've done everything we can to get rid of the things we didn't like about church. You know, like always talking about money and stuff. Don't you just hate that? Don't you hate being in a place where that happens? We just got this idea way 21 years ago, God always pays for what he orders, so whatever comes in, if he ain't paying for it, I guess he ain't ordering it, right? We don't have to beat up the people. This whole dressing up thing for church. I mean, I got the vineyard pastor uniform on here today with the barber shirt. and Just so you know, I was wearing cowboy boots long before I was in the vineyard 21 years ago. Because I had horses. Other things I don't like about church is how they use guilt to try to motivate people. What's up with that? You know this guilt works for about an inch, and then you're back? I mean, you can get pretty stirred up with a good guilty message, right? Feel pretty bad about yourself, make some promises you're pretty sure you're not going to keep? You do pretty well for about this long, and then you're your same old bad self again. I like the other side of that whole message of the gospel, that it's the love of God that changes us. It's a loving God that says, come on over here. Come over here, I have something better for you. One of the things I don't like about church that we try not to do here is, you know, when the person up front tries to make you feel happy, you know, and tells you to get happy, like get with it. If you were a real Christian, you'd be happy. You know what I'm talking about? Man, that ticks me off. (laughs) It just makes me madder. You know, I hate it when they say, hey, Turn to your neighbor and tell him that God loves you, and so do I. What if I don't know if I love that person or not? Could assume that about God, and folks say that part, I guess, but I hate that when they're trying to make you happy. You know, I struggle with unhappiness. Does anybody else? Me too. And you know, when I'm unhappy, I feel like I deserve it. I want to be left alone in it, don't you? I've earned this. Don't be reaching out to me telling me if I was a real Christian I should be happy because I might choke you. (laughs) So this, I don't like that about church. And so it bothered me when 40 years ago almost I started reading the Bible And Jesus started this very important passage 
called the Beatitudes, nine times he says, happy are the, happy are the, happy are the. Because when I'm really miserable, I don't even want Jesus to talk to me. You know what I'm talking, anybody know what I'm talking about? But he insists. He just keeps coming in. And so I really struggled with this. When I was a new believer, coming out of the things that I was coming out of as a late teen, young adult, when I was a new believer, I wore out two parts of my living Bible. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the book of James. Those two books, they, I, I mean literally the pages of that Bible were worn out. They just formed me when I was trying to figure out, with no church like the vineyard around, <laughs> when I was trying to figure out how to walk this thing out with God. And so when Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount thing with this thing called the Beatitudes, which... You know why they're called the Beatitudes? Everybody does, because it's for the Latin Beatitudo, like, duh. Which, which means happy. Happy. And the Greek word for that every time is makarios, which means happy. But I don't think, yeah, duh. But I don't think we're going to change them to the makarioses anytime soon. But nine times Jesus said, happy are the, happy are the. Let me, let me, let me let's read it. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he, meaning Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying. Now this was pretty common for a rabbi to do, was to use something like a mountainside or something that would help project their voice. They could reach more people and, you know, precursor to the wireless microphone, Right. So he was looking like a rabbi, and especially when he sat down, because in that day the rabbi would sit down and the congregation would stand. I don't think that would last very long here, but <laughs> I'm sitting today not because I'm a rabbi, but because I'm tired. <laughs> and uh, so this was all, this all looked like normal rabbi, about to happen, about to do a big deal. And he was gathering quite a crowd because he was a rabbi of a different color, wasn't he? People were going, what is it with this Jesus of Nazareth? And so quite a crowd had gathered, and though he looked like a rabbi, he, he went to where rabbis go to speak, and, and he sat down as a rabbi would sit down, that what he started to say was the exact opposite of what they'd been taught by the rabbis. And he starts by saying, happy are the. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, not the sturdy, the rich in spirit, the strong in spirit, as they'd been taught, but the poor in spirit. The guys who suck at it. It's basically what he's saying. Happy, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is inviting them on some road to happiness the strangest way. Happy are those who mourn. What kind, what kind of audacious thing is that to say to somebody who's mourning? Happy are those who mourn. It's upside down. Happy are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Is it the meek who go out and get all the stuff? No, it's the gregarious. It's the go-getters, right? And he's flipping everything over. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Thank you, Lord. Happy are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. 
What? Rejoice, he says, and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Yeah. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Happy. Happy. I think it's clear then that the plan of God is for us to experience some happiness, yes? I mean, that's how he opened the most important sermon of his earthly ministry. By saying, happy are the. That is the will of God for us to experience happiness. Now, we've, we've been over this ground before in this church about the difference between joy and happiness. The joy is sturdy, it's abiding, it's, uh, it's, it's that confident sense of assurance that God's in control and that, that's that joy that that brings, yeah? Where happiness seems to be more related to circumstance and it seems to be more emotional and fragile by comparison. And so while we definitely want to be people of joy all the time, we know that our happiness tends to wane, doesn't it? And Jesus is saying, hey, i got nine ways for you to be happy. And that's how he started the sermon, how he started the message about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now you do need to notice that the road to Jesus' happiness that we're being invited onto is is absolutely diametrically opposed to the road for happiness that the world has to offer. I mean, everything's opposite, right? Because the, the road's going to be, you're going to be happy when you're strong. <laughs> and Jesus said, you're going to be happy when you're poor in spirit. You're going to be happy when this season of grieving will be over. Jesus said, no, you can be happy in the midst of it. And so everything's reversed, And it's so critical to get this, because if you're going to spend any time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and really some of you are so authentically interested in really getting it going on with Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount thing, is such a critical place to be. There's so much in there. But if you're going to get it, you've got to come through the door of the Beatitudes. You've got to come through this door where Jesus literally turns the door upside down. Because if you don't get that the that the road to happiness that Jesus is offering is absolutely opposite of the road that the world is offering, you're going to be really messed up by what he says next. You're not going to get any. You've got to come through this door of the Beatitudes and say, okay, I guess with Jesus, everything's going to be different. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. How are the meek people faring at your job? (laughs) Come on, it's the barracudas that are inheriting the earth, right? Well, then there must be some difference. This is the exact opposite. We've got to get hold of that. We've got to understand that. You know, the happiness that the world offers, it seems messed up in a couple of ways. One way is that any happiness that I've ever experienced in the, from the world's point of view, it seems to come with a, at a price. It always exacts a price. It demands something from me. It's never paid for. I mean, the new car, the smell wears off before you get home and you get 72 more payments, right? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you're so happy, aren't you, when you drive? Hey, look at me. Before the payment book is done. You're wondering if it's going to make it. Am I right? I mean, the addict is only happy if he can pay the price for the fix, whatever your fix is. 
There's a price attached to every happiness that the world has offered. Jesus is setting us up in this early part of his ministry to tell us about his death, eventually, his resurrection, his ascension, where he's going to say, oh, by the way, I've paid for your happiness. This happiness that I'm giving you, there's no price to it. You just have to come and get it. And the other thing that's, I think, different about these two kinds of happiness that Jesus is offering is, um, I've noticed the happiness of the world, it seems fleeting. You know what I mean? It seems, it seems to go away. I've had some happy times on my motorcycle. But then I'm off my motorcycle, I'm back at work. <laughs> Wishing I was on my bike. And it just seems like you've got to be doing the thing that the world promises is going to bring you happiness. Jesus is offering some kind of abiding happiness. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I have not grasped this in a consistent sense yet. I've experienced the happiness of the Lord, as many, many of you have. But what Jesus is offering is a happiness that's paid for by him, all paid for, and it's abiding. It's always available as you encounter him. Because he says you'll be the sons of God. So I think maybe the last thing I want you to notice about this happiness thing is, in this Beatitudes, I want you to notice how wide the door is that Jesus is putting on this. So let's call it the on-ramp. How wide the opening to this on-ramp is onto the road of happiness with Jesus. I mean, you, you remember who he's talking to, like I was talking about in communion. You know, he's talking to this ragtag group of, of motley followers who were passed over by every every decent rabbi, and they were fishermen and tax collectors and variety of, of apprenticeships in which he found them because no self-respecting rabbi would have them. So it was that wide. But then look what he says. I want the poor in spirit. I want the mourners. I want the meek. I want the hungry. I want the merciful. I do want the pure in heart. I like those people. I want the peacemakers. And he, and, and he opens this up. I don't even think this is the end of the list. But I want you to notice how wide the door, how wide the beginning of this on-ramp under the road to happiness is. And I love that about this church. As long as I'm sitting in this chair, this will always always be a church with a wide, wide on-ramp. No experience necessary. Bring your baggage. Bring it. I dare you. I dare you to come the way you are. And to get onto that on-ramp just the way you are. I dare you. I dare you to bring your addictions. Don't try to clean yourself up before you get here. It'll just slow you down. Just delay the inevitable. Right? I love it. One of my favorite parts of, this ground, of these grounds are the ashtrays. I love it that we have ashtrays out in front of our building. I love that about this place. I got to tell you. I love it. I say, are you condoning smoking? No, I think smoking's bad for you. I think the evidence is there. But I'm condoning smokers. I love them. I love smokers. Seems like some people, they come to the Lord and they're smoking. They got these habits, addictions. They get rid of them. And then they get all self-righteous. I don't like you as much anymore. You know what I'm talking about? I don't like you as much. I, I got to tell you now, some of you don't know this. If you've never smoked, 
you don't know this about smoking. And first of all, you don't know that it's, it's fun. <laughs> it feels good. Now, I'm not condoning smoking, you know, but I'm just saying, if, if you've never smoked before, you don't know that when you light that baby up and inhale some down, just feel that sweet release in your body. I mean, I've heard, and, um, you know, just uh, curling up with that cigarette smoke around, you know, and kind of waft. That's the one thing. And the other thing you need to know, some of you are jonesing for a cigarette right now. I know that. I'm sorry, but i got to do this to you. The other thing some of you don't know about smoking is that it is a highly relational activity. (laughs) It's a highly relational activity. I mean, you never see a group of smokers somewhere who are smoking who aren't also talking to each other, even if they don't know or like each other. There's a, come on, am I, amen, yeah, uh uh-huh. One of my favorite times in this church are Monday nights, Wednesday nights, and Thursday nights. Because on Monday nights and Thursday nights, we have AA groups in here. And on Wednesday nights, we have Celebrate Recovery in here. And before every time, there's a group of people out there smoking. And they're so nice. I mean, they're just so, hey, how you doing, you know? And you walk through that cloud of smoke, and you, you just... And i gotta, I got to tell you something I struggle with. It's everything within me to keep me from bumming a cigarette off of one of those guys... Just so I can connect with them. Yeah, how about that, huh? I mean, that's what I want this church to be. Real people who connect. Under... Now, don't start smoking, okay? Whatever. But I, I'm just saying, you've got to understand what those things mean, those ashtrays mean. You've got to understand what they mean. And you've got to understand me when I say, Grove City Vineyard, as long as I'm in this seat, will never be a smoke-free environment. I want it to, and it's not because I want anybody to smoke or have to walk through a cloud of smoke. I just want smokers. I want, I want smokers because Jesus said the on-ramp is really wide. And this church has to be about an on-ramp that's wide so that people can come into this. I love that about this church. And some of you have been here a long time. And you go, well, you know, am I really going to make it? I mean, am I ever going to grow deep in my relationship with the Lord in a church like this where it's all about the on-ramp? And I want to I tell you, you pay attention, the road narrows. The road narrows. The road narrows. And you can, you can walk a narrow walk with Jesus. And you can walk a deep walk with Jesus in the context of a fellowship like this that has its priorities straight. Has its priorities straight about digging wells in India for impoverished people and taking school supplies to Appalachia. And I'm not bragging about any of this. I'm just saying this is what the Lord has blessed us with and having ashtrays out front. That's what this church is about. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? I, you know, I'm walking a deep walk with the Lord. It's real simple. You need, as you walk that walk and your road got narrow, you, gotta, you have to offer welcome without judgment. Did you hear me? Welcome without judgment. 
You know, that wide opening might be way back in your rearview mirror somewhere, but that doesn't give anybody the right to judge an iota of what you see at the mouth of the entrance. And you may think you know something about somebody, and you may know something about Sunday, somebody, some behavior, something about their life about which you disapprove. And according to this book, it is none of your damn business to judge them. Jesus said, He said, Judge not, and be ye not judged, for with the measure that you judge, you will be judged. You can walk a deep, wonderful walk with Jesus. You can walk the narrow road here. But don't ever, ever forget where you came from. Lord, we love you. We love you that you take us the way we are. We love you that you let us somehow remain a messy place so that people will come and find life in you, not in us, but in you. Lord, even those of us who have been trying at this for so long are barely a half a step ahead of anybody else, so we, we don't claim any righteousness that is not a gift from you. We thank you for every person here. I thank you for that straight and narrow walker. I thank you for that person who has, by the power of Christ, overcome the things that held them back. And I thank you for that one who is here and just saying, God, if you don't exist, if you don't show up in my life, I am going to die. And so, Father, as we just take some time to rejoice in who you are in this invitation to happiness, we just freely admit that we haven't perfected it yet, but we hear your voice, and we see how widely your arms are open toward us. And there's something inside of us that just says, I want that. I want you, Lord. I love this church. I thank you for every person here. And I pray that in our few remaining moments here, you would just pour out your spirit on this place and heal our sick and counsel our troubled and bring life to those who are struggling with unhappiness, at levels of depression, Spirit of God, come. Come. Rescue your children. Come, Lord. We just look to you and invite you to come and move among us for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.